complete body of the recorded say from last week. Om Sahanavavatu Sahanavunattu Sahavidyam Karavavahai Tejasvinavaditamastuma Vidvishavahai Om Shantishantishanti So I had said to Raj, after your very generous allotment of time last week, uh, since there was a link and I got to review it, uh, I had a few notes I made, a little clarification I feel is in order. So if you don't mind, I'll just take a few moments and do that. So the first is actually a comment that wasn't made last week, but I had made previously to Raj, which he related, and that was about not being too humble. So I wanted to expand upon that and where I was coming from, how I mean that. So just jot it down here. If you understand, have faith, or an inkling that your true nature is limitless awareness, proclaiming yourself to be limited trapped by your thoughts, emotions, desires, habits, is not humility, but small-mindedness, clinging to the passing parade, the content of your mind, what you are aware of, not honoring your guru, your faith, your own experience, not soaring, but instead pretending to be trapped by the limited, time-bound notions there are a byproduct of ignorance. Everyone can say, I am, and I am aware. That is known to you without a means of knowledge. Quite a statement. Known to us without a means of knowledge. That is what's meant by self-revealing and self-evident. And we don't always think in this context, but actually that self-knowing is prior to the mind. It's not dependent on a thought. You don't need a pramana. You don't need a means of knowledge to know you are, to know that you are aware. And being who we are, we really can be never other than who we are. So proclaiming that we are the limited is not really humility. Uh, it's a false gesture. Anyway, just to expand upon that. So what is the nature of awareness? Awareness said, said to be formless. How big is awareness? What is above awareness? What is below awareness? Such questions do not exist because awareness has no form. All forms are known by awareness. And all forms are subject to a threefold limitation of time, space, and attributes. But awareness being formless cannot be bound by time cannot be limited spatially, or defined or confined by any characteristic. That is why Krishna said, I am all things, but no thing contains me. Awareness knows all, is all, and free of all simultaneously. Uh, the other thing I was commenting about my practice, and the practice of non-practice, and 
And hearing what I said, I also thought I wanted to just make the statement that freedom is freedom from bondage, freedom from self-ignorance, freedom from samsara. But it's not a free person. It's freedom from the person. The person is a myth. The person is an activity. How are you going to free a myth? How are you going to free an illusion? How are you going to make the finite infinite? How, many, how do we make the limited limitless? Defining ourselves by the content of the mind is like measuring darkness, not doable. And even primordial darkness flees in the presence of light. Okay. The other thing that I thought perhaps could have been somewhat confusing was where I talked about there's understanding yourself as awareness and under your understanding yourself as Brahman. I don't want to imply that that's two understandings. Uh, it's really one, which is why I also just talked about how we know ourselves as awareness and how awareness being formless has no limitation. So we know, I'm sure in this group, that the root for Brahman, bra, means big, usually considered an adjective. But in the case of Brahman, a noun, perhaps a proper noun, perhaps the proper noun, but that aside, uh, it means big without limitation, endlessly big. Only awareness fulfills that, that prescription. And since there is no second thing, there is nothing other than awareness, your awareness, my awareness, the awareness that is Brahman, which is why Tatwamasi, which is why when we understand ourselves as awareness, we know that we are non-different than Brahman. Swamiji also used to talk about there are three questions in Vedanta. Who am I? Which I like to say, who is the one living this life? What is the nature of the world? And who or what is the Lord or God? And although they appear as three questions, if you solve one of them, you solve all of them, because there is no second thing. I hope that if there were, was any confusion along those lines was helpful. No, thank you so much. Thanks for the clarification. I like that uh, part where you talked about the humility side. That's, that's really good. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much, Rick. Uh, you listened to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. It's one of the virtues of retired life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Any questions for Rick? Rick, uh, one... Um, follow-up question in, in some ways to my question from previous week, which is um, around uh, um, preparing one's mind for Vedanta. I mean, is it if for somebody who is not yet prepared, right, whose mind is not there yet, um, and if they are exposed to Vedanta, would that lead to mental purification? Is it more like a prerequisite from your understanding? Um, or the exposure itself can purify? Um, 
yeah, would love to hear your thoughts on on that because the the where I'm going with this is that um, I feel the bulk of humanity is not ready yet. So, in other words, that is one. Second thing is, I think most of the effort required from our side is also in preparing our our mind to be able to one be interested, be able to introspect, to go through the shravanam. Mananam Nidityasanam phases, but many of us, most of us, most of humanity is not yet ready. So then how do we, so uh, it does seem like a chicken and egg problem here in some ways or not. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are in, in this. I've, um, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. So uh, the conclusion I came to is that, hey, a lot of effort has to go into mental preparation because then and obviously, the exposure to knowledge is going to be there. And um, eventually, that will click into place. Um, but then, without mental preparation, uh, the it, it might remain an academic exercise. So that, that's my conclusion. I might be wrong. I'm, I'm looking forward to your perspective on this. Yeah. So the Tibetans refer to the knowledge of who I am as an open secret meaning that it's open to everyone, yeah. but it remains a secret until you're ready to hear it. Correct. And I think also in what you're asking, and I also want to be say this particularly to you, I did not mean at all to be disparaging to yoga. I'm quite thankful. No, yeah, no, of course. Good. I'm yeah. quite thankful for what yoga, how yoga helped prepare me. But I, I two things in, along that line. Yes, if you don't have the preparation, and preparation is really just openness of mind, and an and and vragya, you have to have a bit of dispassion toward life. Yeah. If, if you think that the life you're living will give you what you want, you won't. First of all, you won't listen, and yeah. secondly, you won't hear. Yeah. So you have to have be in a place in your life where you're you're consciously looking for something beyond what you've found. Uh, that. I think creates the openness sure. that also creates the receptivity. Now, some people get there in a kind of methodical life uh, way. They, they may learn about this and then they go through the yoga because they, they, they're aiming and they want to be ready when the opportunity comes. But we also all know about how life being ever transient, some people upon an accident, upon a near-death experience, upon illness, upon the death of a loved one, suddenly they are thrust into an openness that they didn't have before, didn't have a value for before, but now suddenly the answers they have for life are lacking. Again, I don't think it's one thing or one way, but I also agree with your comments. And that is, if you're not in any sense wanting, ready, willing, you won't hear it, even if you're exposed to it. Now, some people, when that happens, somewhere in their mind, there's a little door that opens. It may close quickly, but it will come back to them at another moment, at another time. So I don't think exposure is ever a bad thing. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Whether it's fruitful or not is dependent on what we were discussing earlier. At least this is pretty much how I view it. 
Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. So uh, thank you, Rick. And you're, of course, welcome to stay. Uh, you know, we are discussing Kunti Stuti this week and and from, from the Bhagavatam. It's just taking a little diversion from Gita after we completed Chapter 8. And, uh, uh, you know, we voted to do this. Let's see how it goes today. And then we'll get back to Chapter 9 later on. So uh, we'll follow the usual format. And today, you know, I'm handicapped because uh, Supu is not there. If Supu had been there, he could have sung it, looks like it. So I'm handicapped. Anyone, uh, anyone who has uh, uh, learned this or is interested to chant this, I can flash the slides and one of you can chant it. You can raise your digital hand or your real hands. So, Guntax, I, uh, uh, I tried my best to see how Subhu would have chanted it. Okay. And, and I failed. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I was uh, I was also like you hoping that Subhu would be here and he can chant. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I know. Subhu probably let us down today, but that's fine. So what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, un, uh, you know, if uh, uh, Guns, if you want to try, I know I could flash the slides. You can do it. Otherwise, I can. I'm happy to do it. I really, uh, I don't think I will do any justice because the Sanskrit is very continuous in this thing. Yeah. So. I would not even uh, venture if Alpana or somebody else would like to. Right. Please do. Yeah. So before I start, okay, let me go ahead with this. And before I start, okay. I just want to let you know that I noticed that uh, uh, the Sanskrit text in this document is not correct at times. So please ignore it. And I think uh, it could lead you to pronounce things wrongly. There are uh, uh, wrong ways of, I mean, wrong um, letters used. So I looked at the original and it looks like there's, a, there's some mistakes. So please ignore that for the moment and, uh, you know, let's go through the shlokas in the usual format and I'll, I will chant it. I have not practiced this, so I'll make a lot of mistakes. So I apologize for that in advance. And uh, I actually don't know what uh, uh, meter this needs to be set. So I tried to set it to the usual uh, Anushtuk Chandas that I am familiar with. So it could be wrong. So I, again, once again, want to, uh, you know, Seek, seek your apology pardon for that. Okay. So let me just go to the So we'll follow the usual format. I'll chant the shloka and uh, and I will read out the meaning. Namasye Purusham Twadyam Ishwaram Prakrute Param Alaksham Sarvabhutanam Antar Bahir Vastitham Maya Javanikan Channam Agyana Dhokshajam Avyayam Nalakshase Buddha Trusha Natu Natyadharo Yata. So the first one says, I salute to Lord Vishnu, the primeval God and the divine nature, who is indivisible to all beings, though he is inside and outside all of them. He is covered by the curtain of illusion and is invisible and imperishable and not felt by the foolish humans and is playing and is like an actor dressed for playing the part. 
तथा परमहंसानाश्येमस्त्रिस्तुदेवाय देवकी नंदनाय नंदगोपकुमाय गोविंदय नमो नम so how can you be perceived by ladies as you appear only for great sages and philosophers who can recognize the soul and also to experts in the path of devotion salutations and salutations to krishna son of vasudeva and devaki who is the lord of nandagopa who is the son of nandagopa and lord of all beings so we're doing till 10 today so i'm just going to complete till 10 and then we'll get there namah pankajanabhaya नम पंकजमालिने नम पंकजनेत्राय नमस्ते पंकजांघ्रे यथाकेशन देवकी कंसेन रुद्धाचिरंसुचाटिताटेशोटसोटसोट and who has soft feet like that of a lotus flower you are the lord of the senses who freed devaki from sorrow as she was imprisoned by the envious tamsa and o lord you have also repeatedly helped my children from various constant and serious groups of threat threats vishan mahagnes purushard purushad darshanat sat ृतेनेकमहारथास्त्रोद्रौण्यस्त्रशास्मेक्षिताशन you saved us from poison great fire looks of evil people from assembly of the wicked from perils of dangerous forest life from very great uh, many very many great arrows from great warriors in the war and now in the war and now from the arrow of ashwatthama the son of drona o teacher of the universe let these calamities occur frequently for we are blessed with meeting with you which eliminates the sorrows of this life with its ever occurring cycles of birth and death janmaishwarya srutam sutasrihi ye bhiredamanad kuman naivarhatya bi धातुमेंटी will not be ever in a position to even utter your name for you being approachable by 
only by those who have nothing of their own. Salutations to the God, who is the wealth of those who do not have anything, who is beyond the three characters of saintly, regal, and base. He who, who delights with himself, who is the peace and the path to salvation. So that was the 10 shlokas that we'll be covering today. So anyone wants to share anything from what you learned and read? You can start off. Rajesh, I didn't read it, but what was the context in which at what time did Kunti did this? Kunti Stuti, uh, any idea? Yeah. Um, I, will, I will try to explain to the best what I know. So basically the war is almost over and then uh, Ashwatthama is now made the commander. Uh, Duryodhana is lying somewhere in, in uh, you know, injured after having fought with Bhima. He's still not at, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Duryodhana is not at uh, Fort Bhima. So Duryodhana is hiding somewhere and uh, he needs a new commander because all his commanders are dead now. So Ashwatthama goes and says, I want to be the commander. And he says, okay. And then Ashwatthama is, Ashwatthama is son of Dhrupacharya, of course. And Ashwatthama goes and he uses uh, Brahmastra to kill all of Draupadi's children. Actually, he wants to kill Pandavas. And, uh, you know, for some strange reason, he mis mistakes the five sons of Kunti as uh, uh, Pandavas and he kills all of them. And then uh, what happens is uh, Bhima goes and drags him, brings him. And then and uh, they, uh, you know, they want to kill him, basically. But then Draupadi intervenes and she says that uh, uh, Ashwatthama is our guru's son. And we cannot do Brahmahatya because he's a Brahmana. We cannot do Brahmahatya. And then we will uh, let him go. Then Krishna, you know, says something and, you know, then Ashwatthama is humiliated big time. And then Ashwatthama still does not, and Ashwatthama is let go by, by the uh, Pandavas. And then he still does not, uh, you know, he, he does not let go of his uh, uh, hatred for some strange reason. And then he, uh, he wants to take vengeance. So he, he takes a vow that he will uh, kill the entire clan of uh, Pandavas. And then he releases uh, Brahmastra and, uh, and to kill the child which is in the heart of Uttara, who is Abhimanyu's uh, wife. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, then Uttara keeps running. Uttara is uh, Abhimanyu's wife, Arjuna's uh, daughter-in-law. And she runs to Krishna and she says, uh, Krishna, you know, uh, this Brahmastra is coming to me. I don't think there's anybody who can, uh, you know, protect my child. I don't mind dying, but I want my child to be protected. And then Krishna goes inside the womb of uh, uh, inside the womb of uh, Uttara and then he forms a sort of a ring to protect her, okay? And and since it's Bhagavatam, it's like, you know, more poetic and all that. There's no Vedanta, you know, pure Vedanta here, but Vedanta expressed in stories, right? And then yeah. uh, she, the Krishna protects the womb. And then, uh, you know, like what Dushyant, our Bhichan guy says, so this uh, baby inside the womb, uh, the baby is uh, looking, okay, oh, something is coming to kind of, you know, kill me. And there is some sort of a, you know, character, who is, I mean, he takes the shape of a Angushka Matrena, which is like as small as a thumb. 
and then he keeps on going around the womb to protect the baby and then the the baby is keep on looking he's kind of you know doing you know pariksha pariksha is testing right or looking he keeps on looking at who this thing who this entity is who is helping me supporting me right and so when he comes out of the womb uh, and of course bhagwan protects him and all that when he comes out of the womb uh, he is named uh, some vasu uh, vasudeva some some name like that but then he is also rechristened as parikshit because he was doing pariksha of who that particular person was and every time he even outside in the real world also he is every person when he looks at it he is looking at their face to see if there is the same person who protected me in the womb till he Uh, finds Krishna, and of course, he never finds Krishna till Bhagavatam is completed. So that's the story. So at that point of time, Kunti goes and falls at uh, at that point of time when uh, Brahmastra is uh, neutralized by Krishna. Kunti goes and falls at uh, Krishna's feet uh, okay. in the in that saying that uh, you have protected my you know the Pandava race. Right? Actually, it's Kaurava race is what she says. So everybody is vanquished. Almost everybody is vanquished, and then. Um, They are also part of Kaurava race, so she says she protected Kaurava race, and that's how she prays. That's the context. Oh, okay. Thank you. Never knew some common slokas like Krishna was Devaya and all was in Kunti Stuti. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, a very uh, popular, uh, popular one. Hey, uh, Kunti Stuti. One question I had was Kunti Stuti means it is Kunti praising Krishna, not yeah. the other, not uh, the praise of Kunti, right? That's what this is. Yeah, there is another Kunti Stuti in Mahabharata where Yudhishthira praises Kunti, but that's not this one. Okay, this is Kunti praising. uh sri krishna and uh, in the other stuti uh, you know after yudhishthira is crowned as a king and all that stuff after the the war the great mahabharata mm-hmm. and he does uh, he goes into a huge depression and then uh, you know he does not want the kingdom and all that stuff and then finally of course who else krishna will come and convince him about his dharma and yeah. despite having you know taken a huge lecture from in shanti parva by uh, bhishma you know Duryodhana, I mean, Yudhishthira is uh, totally into depression. And then after Krishna, you mean after the war? After the war, after the war, he uh, he he gets into a depression, huge depression. And then he uh, Krishna asks him to do Ashramida Yagya, and he does that. And then at that time, he praises Kunti as the someone who is an epitome of uh, patience and uh, selfless service, and you know lots of things there. That's a different Kunti Stuti. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, some of the things uh, were interesting uh, because there I see some connections here, and whether these things are connected or not, I don't know. But yesterday in the in our bigger group, there was a discussion on all these uh, Marcus Aurelius. Um, the big emperor from rome and uh, i just looked looked up uh, when he was the emperor it was like around uh, 100 to 200 ad or something like that um some of the things he says 
are uh, almost like taken out of some of these things here that she's talking about krishna and a uh, few other things so when you when, when you read this here's a question for for you right how many of you saw this uh, more like some sort of a uh, stotra or whatever but how many of you saw it like a advaitic text yeah i uh, i mean there there are hints of it um uh, i'm just trying to bring that up uh, sorry yeah there are hints of it contacts but i i could not directly see you know um that it was purely uh, advaita or something like that it was more like a praise of the lord more along the lines of uh, real bhakti kind of thing is what i i got yeah yeah actually uh, you know when when if you look at the first shloka itself it says that uh, you are the primal god and the divine nature you are invisible i'm just kind of reading it off the slide right you are invisible to all beings though he is inside and outside out so there only kunti acknowledges that you are everywhere but you are not visible to the ordinary people and then she goes on to explain you know people who have this who have that they can't see because not because they can't see for any reason other than that their pursuit is not there in 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 recognizing that particular entity within themselves and outside and so and then you know in shloka 2 she says he is covered by the curtain of maya maya and uh, it's it's like it's, it 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 kind of recovers him so that you know he is not able to be perceived by the rest of us so it's it sort of you know acknowledges right there and that's the beauty of bhagavatam that i'm seeing right and people who are going through bhagavatam you 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 like you agree to this there's there are so much of advaita which is put inside that which is like uh, i would say you know easy to digest than you go to geeta and then suddenly you know, bhagwan says okay <laughs> you're not the you're not the body you're not the mind and then okay now suddenly who i am it's it gets very difficult there and if you look at uh, i just i was just able to pull it up on on number 8 he says let these calamities occur frequently <laughs> so this is this is going back to what uh, rick was saying like when the suddenly you become more receptive like if you had uh, some life events or uh, something that changes your thinking uh, and and it just you become you you learn to listen i guess but she is openly saying that let these calamities occur frequently I I found that the first time I just remembered when I was reading it the first time I was like uh, why is she saying that yeah yeah and actually uh, that's a that's a good point what you bring because I, I, when I read Kunti's Kunti for the first time uh, about maybe three years back or something that was the shloka which struck me big time because Kunti was actually uh, asking for more calamities I mean 
when I say asking, asking, I mean, it's not, not necessarily asking, but she's saying that, you know, I can remember you much easier when I have those calamities, which seems, which seems to be a pretty common thing even within us. I don't think that we turn on to quote-unquote a divine force when things are good, okay, things are okay. But when things are not okay, we definitely look for that divine inspiration somewhere. But, um, uh, you know, the just on that same topic, you know, maybe if, uh, if, uh, if you're okay, I can talk a little bit about some of the uh, things that she says as to how, what are all the things that you saved us from. Okay, and maybe if if people are interested, I can I can help you understand some of those some of those things. So let me share back the slide. So here it's she says, you know, I mean, till here, she says, you know, who who he was and you know what all he, he did and all that stuff. Okay, but from here, from this loka onwards. She says that you have repeatedly helped my children from various constant and serious groups of threats. And then she goes on to give some examples here. Okay, some examples here. Okay, Visham, Maha, Visha and Mahagni and all, all that. Okay, so if you look, if you if you remember the Mahabharata, the Marchitrakata Mahabharata that, that we would have read, right? So the first one is you saved us from the great poison. This story is referring to the story when uh, the Pandavas and Kauravas were very small, I mean, boys, and uh, Duryodhana one day decides that uh, they will have a feast, okay, where only the uh, Kauravas and Pandavas are invited. And uh, what he does is he uh, gets this, uh, what is, some sort of a sweet, okay, to be shared with everybody. And for Bhima, and he hates Bhima to the core, for Bhima, he uh, puts poison in, within that particular thing and he makes Bhima eat them. And then uh, they will go and Bhima becomes unconscious and they'll go dump it into the uh, into the river. Okay, The unconscious Bhima. And all the children after the picnic, they get back home, but Bhima is missing. And uh, once he, Bhima goes inside, the, inside that particular river, I don't know what river it is. It's probably Ganga or Yamuna, I don't know. And then he goes into Patala Loka. And Patala Loka is the abode of uh, snakes. Okay, and uh, all the snakes, they start, uh, uh, you know, biting him. And in the process of biting him, they actually take away the poison from him and uh, render him, uh, you know, uh, uh, back again into uh, consciousness. And then, uh, and of course, Nagaraja, the king of snakes comes and they say, oh, this is Bhima, he's our friend, he's son of Vayu and all that stuff. And then they will, uh, they'll send him back. They'll send him back and Bhima becomes actually sort of uh, invincible for these kind of things after that. So in some sense, Duryodhana actually helps him. And that's also, she says that you saved me. And the great fire is the the fire of the, the lax house, right? The That we talked about where uh, when uh, when uh, Duryodhana gives, uh, Dhritarashtra gives, uh, you know, uh, uh, builds a huge palace made out of wax. And, uh, you know, they ask them to stay. At that point of time, Vidura actually uh, tells tells Yudhishthira that uh, you know you have to when you have to I have made a secret tunnel and this is Duryodhana's plan that when you're all sleeping that you will be uh, burnt to death. So I want you guys to escape, okay? And uh, you know magically it so happens that there is a old woman with five children uh, who who comes to ask for arms and they sleep in that home. 
and Pandavas escape, and then you know that whole place is burnt, and they everybody thinks that the Pandavas, along with Kunti, died and all that. That's that's this uh, thing what she talks about. And the look of the evil people is, I think, it's referring to the uh, the uh, uh, Draupadi uh, Vastraparan in the in the assembly uh, when uh, Draupadi is uh, uh, disrobed, then Krishna actually comes and uh, you know saves her. And the look of the evil people is talked about the, uh, the look what the people have when Draupadi is uh, uh, just having one piece of cloth on her body. Okay, and uh, that's the that's the same thing I think from from the assembly of the wicked and from perils of the forest life. So Krishna actually protects them in in the forest multiple multiple times. Uh, you know, uh, one of the great examples is when Druvasa goes to uh, at the behest of Duryodhana. Druvasa goes to uh, uh, goes to uh, Draupadi, and he says that I'm coming with all my thousand uh, disciples or whatever. Make sure that you uh, you have uh, you have made a meal for me, okay? And uh, he goes off to the to to the river to do sandhya on the moment, then come back. And meanwhile, Draupadi is panicking. She's saying that okay, oh, I don't know how to feed so many people. So Draupadi would have gotten a boon by uh, Surya. She would have got something called Akshaya Patra. Okay? And Akshaya Patra is a vessel which would give as much food as what Draupadi wants as long as she has not eaten it. She has not finished her meal. If she has finished her meal, it will not give anything more till the next meal. That's the thing. And she would have finished her meal when Durvasa had come. And so uh, what happens is that... Uh, when uh, Durvasa uh, goes off, Draupadi is panicking and uh, Yudhishthira, obviously, you know, he does not understand how, uh, uh, what's, what's Draupadi's mentality. And he has no way of figuring out, you know, it's, it's Draupadi's job to feed, the, feed these people, not his job. So uh, then she prays to Krishna and Krishna is somewhere in Dwaraka and immediately he comes. Okay. How he comes and all that Bhagavad Gita does not explain, but he immediately comes and then... Uh, he says, okay, get me the Takshaya Patra. And then he sees one small morsel of food still uh, lying in that some corner there. She wouldn't have cleaned it properly. That's what it means. So he takes that morsel of food and he eats it. And then uh, he says, uh, I'm done. Okay. And then uh, then uh, all these uh, Durvasa and all these uh, disciples who are in the, uh, in the uh, river, now... They, they all suddenly feel so full as if they've eaten after a long time. And uh, they tell Durvasa, Durvasa, you know, I think we should not go back because if we go back, uh, we will do injustice to the food what Draupadi would have cooked because I am totally full. All of us are totally full. And if you do injustice to the food, then you remember, you know, at one point of time when you, uh, when you went and, uh, you know, insulted uh, Ambarisha, you know, how... Krishna's, uh, uh, you know, Vishnu's, uh, you know, the, the disc chakra came and uh, came chasing you. Like that, again, you know, Vishnu's will come behind you. So we should not go. And they all run away from that place. And then, uh, uh, then you know, uh, uh, Daupadi realizes that, you know, just because Krishna has eaten, everybody has eaten in this entire universe. And that's, that's the story of that. And uh, then, of course, this is, this is a straightforward. Uh, the next one is very, very many, many great arrows from great warriors. So there are several times when Arjuna and everybody is protected by Krishna, and we know that story. And as you read the Mahabharata story, you know there are several times when Krishna actually quote unquote tricks uh, 
tricks the Gorwa army by not even raising a single weapon, but he's able to protect them. And uh, then this is a final one, right? And now the arrow of Ashwatthama. This was a very important thing because if Ashwatthama had killed uh, 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 killed Parikshit, then the entire Kaurava and Pandava clan would have been vanquished without any anybody. And in any case, uh, these uh, these the five Panchapandavas, they probably would have ruled for some time and they would have uh, uh, gone away to the forest. In any case, that means the entire lineage would have been dead. So because of Ashwatthama. Uh, uh, being, you know, Ashwatthama's uh, assault stopped by Krishna, they are able to uh, uh, continue with that uh, Kaurava lineage. That's the story that uh, I want to share with you. Great story, Guntax. That's awesome. Actually, the, the small list that that you shared there, uh, poison, fire, uh, saving from the evil eyes and people, uh, reminded me of that one shloka in Bhagavad Gita. I think in 2030, uh, 36. Uh, so I was just looking at that. So Arjuna will say, Papa Meva Ashrayet, Asman Hatva Yetan Atatainaha. And he uses the word Atatai, uh, Atatai is a person. Uh, who a Kshatriya is supposed to instantly kill if he does like one of this five or six big sins. And they are like, and Duryodhana to his credit would have done all the six. Uh, setting a house on fire, trying to poison, uh, disrobing uh, somebody, taking somebody's wealth well, and so on. So uh, yeah, that, that list reminded me of that Atatai. Very good connection, Ketu. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Spurti, you raise your hand. So tell me, tell me, Rajesh, uh, just uh, curious. Uh, um, in the thanks, Mahabharata sir. War... Spurti, one second. Ajay Sorry. was saying something. Go ahead, Ajay. Yes, yes I was going to ask a very sort of simple question. Uh, didn't Ashwatthama get die, die in the Mahabharata War? No, he did so this not. All happened, this all happened after the after the war was over, right? No. Uh, yeah, this happened after the war, but Ashwatthama is not dead. And I believe he was, quote-unquote, blessed with a curse that he will be eternal living in that uh, guilt. And incidentally, it is said oh, yes, that yes. He, still, he still roams around in Himalayas. So. Yeah, in the Kali Yuga also. Yeah, no, I remember that part also. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah. He's one of the Chiranjeevis, right? Like along with... Uh, yeah, Dua, he's a Chiranjeevi. Yeah, correct. Yeah. One of the seven, yeah. Yep. Go ahead, Spurti. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks uh, for uh, narrating all these stories. Uh, brings back fond memories when I when I used to watch uh, Mahabharata on television. Um, so uh, I was. Uh, um, I um, so I don't know if this might be very controversial, but I was reading through the commentary uh, that um, Rajesh shared. And I, I, I was wondering if any of you had a chance to read through the commentary of uh, Prabhupada. Um, I just have some questions around that. Like some, some of the things that uh, that were in the commentary didn't sit well with me. I needed clarifications um, on why those things were mentioned. Um, I think um, I can like 
probably read out some instances that I kind of marked uh, in my uh, so in eight twenty four in the commentary uh, he says something like um, I'm just trying to find it sorry uh, <clears throat> sorry let me let me just try to read um, yeah or maybe um 22 a22 uh this is claimed because uh okay let me read from the beginning here are some of the specific symbolical marks from the spiritual body of the personality of godhead which distinguish his body from the bodies of all others they are all special features of the body of the lord the lord may appear as one of us but he is always distinct by his specific bodily features shrimati kunti claims herself unfit to see the lord because of her being a woman this is claimed because women shudras and the dvijabandhus or the wretched descendants of the higher three classes are unfit by intelligence to understand transcendental subject matter concerning the spiritual name fame attribute yeah i found many instances like this i, I was just wondering if any of you have any um Uh, insights on why he says that yeah i can i can take that question and actually it's an exact uh, there's an exact shloka in bhagavad gita also i do not know which chapter it says triyas triya vaishya shudra and then it goes on and says that nice. these are the people who are not who not be able to understand who bhagavan is right who so the 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 reference there is not to uh, the women or or the women as in the the normal understanding what we have it is people with that mentality of women and, and what what that means is that uh, people who have a wavering mind that's what it means so it is said that uh, most uh, uh, sort of you know the wavering mind is known as the feminine quality right and that's the thing that what they are bringing it out so it's not necessary mm-hmm. that one has to be a woman to be uh, you know right okay that's what it means okay thank you yes purti i agree with what rajesh is saying um it doesn't talk about women or shudras or anybody for that matter in a derogatory okay. manner but uh, just to say that our mind can be um at some points if we don't do uh, mananam and shravanam and nididhyasanam mm. it can waver i think if you take it in that context it just clears up all the other illusionary or imaginations that you may have in your mind to just mm-hmm. focus on uh, the vishwarupa in, in case of if you are dvaita or vishishta dvaita or advaita in three all the three cases you can mm-hmm. just think about that rupam in the sense that you can feel who you are um, but if you if you go into um, these small attributes of stri purush or shudra or anything um, it just will cloud your mind and we we don't we don't want to go there we want to see how kunti beautifully explains and just surrenders and that's when she can go beyond kaurava pandavas and all these um 
you know, destruction to actually going into, you know, mukti. And he clearly says that the Janma Mrityu, uh, the, the chakra of Janma Mrityu, you know, we want to get out of that, right? And that's why she's explaining this whole um, stuti uh, in a beautiful way. I see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, um, I yeah, I needed uh, clarification. Uh, yeah, yeah, just um, when I think when, yeah, I'm, I'm really just a beginner in this, and when I read it, it just didn't feel right, and I wanted to yeah get get more insights into why. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also beginner, and I become beginner very fast, and the next moment we have to change not to be beginner and and see who we are, right? So that happens quite often, Smurtai. Even for me, you know, um, for example, when in one of the shlokas, uh, she is saying that, you know, those who who are, who have Aishwarya or who have, um, who are drawn in, you know, big families and they have so much fame and everything, mm. they can't think of, they can only think of fame and other things. Yeah, they are yeah, not able to think. So yeah. that was a beautiful, that was a turning point for me when I read it multiple times, like, you know, how can we not think of the the power, but only think of this petty things of Aishwaryam or, you know, such a big family, or I have read so much, I know so much, you know, that, that, that I think uh, ego comes into play. How can we come out of that ego and actually see the Vishwarupam within us and others, right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, she makes it a very uh, beautiful, uh, she presents it, Kunti presents it in such a way that as long as one's mind is in a particular direction, it doesn't head into the other direction, the Shreyas and Preyas path that we talk about in, in, in Advaita, right? You know, I think we, we're all, uh, we understand that, you know, the chariot is going towards all the worldly stuff. It's the prayers, but that's not prayers, not necessarily uh, good for us. And uh, uh, and then then once you're able to step back and look at it, when will you when will you look at it? When, when there are calamities and therefore she seeks those calamities. And interestingly, you know, uh, Kunz, you were, you were really saying that this is an important sloka what he found. One thing which struck me was that uh, Kunti was asking to get rid of her attachment to her family, to her relationships. Okay. And I think that's much more stronger than quote-unquote uh, wealth or name or fame because that's that's going to be really, really hard to overcome. And I think yes. in the whole, in the whole, mm -hmm. the whole thing, what she's saying is that uh, it's the attachment should go, not the relationship, but the attachment should go. Totally agree with you. Very well said. Which is Ragha Divishaha, the first chapter one of Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Good Thank you. Hey, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I've been struggling with uh, my headphones today. But um, I, uh, I did not catch that uh, commentary oh it's in the bottom okay sorry um because i i was reading only the translations uh spurti um so i did not get the where you saw yeah, that i can uh, give 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 you a link i mean if anyone wants sure to. sure um but uh this this goes to uh if i also may be a little bit controversial here uh 
this goes to the problem that we always have with quote unquote hinduism right uh, over the years people um, layer on these things the caste system and uh, uh, you know gradation of uh, beings uh, even within humans uh, within animals and uh, but then you see a story like uh, shankara coming across this chandala and so this system existed uh, you know more than 2500 years ago and and people have been repeatedly trying to get rid of that system but still the exploitation is there of uh, of beings within themselves so um yeah uh, i completely understand why it didn't sit well i mean i haven't even seen this thing but reading it is is kind of totally bizarre uh, it should in my opinion it has no place in uh, in a place of learning that we are trying to do yeah that that's all i wanted to say you're right and that's why you know when they say that when when legislation is shabdartha and vachartha within shabdartha when the when when the direct meaning is not clear then that means there is something hidden meaning which is there inside and that can come only through a guru otherwise you know people read uh, with with our quote unquote the western education that we've had it's a huge issue you know we read the word caste which caste at all is not at all there in 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 our scriptures it is jati and varna varna is like colors and suddenly you know you interpret based on what your previous body of knowledge is and then you suddenly make this demoniac force say that oh divisive and all that stuff that's ridiculous people don't get into the details so i think it's the whole idea the whole idea is you no know, uh, context context and where where those words are used and how they are used that's very important think to you always have to look at the source of the commentary i mean prabhupada is a died in the wool uh dwaitam uh and he carries a lot of conceptions that many of us here would not honor but again the the truth of the vedas is that we are not the body so what's the talk of qualification of man or woman i think the whole thing needs to be kicked asunder yeah totally agree with that there there's no gender there's no there's nothing right like there's nothing we can like really identify with so there is no concept of man woman or any belonging to any caste any religion anything yeah yeah i just wanted to add to that so actually it, we will be reading that soon it's uh, the 32nd shloka 9th chapter uh, shriyo vaishyo shudra tatapi param gatim actually it's other way than what is it guntax they will also reach but again like the the context being it's just like various characters of us that is being uh, that's being denoted there like as a stri or a purusha or something or as the jati or uh, varna not necessarily uh, the the gender that we now associate with or certain sets of people or acts of people then it will become kind of like an inclusive club which is completely not what is what is uh, being taught there and on that context like the vaishya and shudra and the varna jati and all that too uh, there are three gradations there is the jati by birth then there is by guna what your nature uh, the actions your your thought process and understanding and then there is your karma what actually your profession is so it's supposed to be based on all these three things 
So somebody may be a jati brahmana, but in guna they could be a shatriya. But the karma they could be doing as a vaishya or a shudra. It could be any mixture, and you are supposed to kind of transcend all this uh, trigunya vishya. You have to go beyond all the three gunas and everything to transcend. Uh, but it's more like kind of a map. Where am I? Like to identify which ones am I being affected more by tamas or by rajas or by uh, even sattva. It's like a golden chain as opposed to an iron chain. Uh, so it's just like only a map to kind of identify where we are and what. actions we need to do do i do more in karma or do i do more upasana and bhakti or am i like now fit for uh, higher forms of jnanam and then can i do shravanan mananan didyasana so yeah it's, it's not to be confused with some people being like in a privileged state and others not everybody access to the same same teachings thanks thanks krishna for the context yeah sometimes it also becomes a responsibility for us to clarify this with others who who sort of like to misinterpret and debate yeah on that note i have been hearing a lot about uh, a book called india that is bharat by uh, j sai deepak and i've seen one or two of his youtube videos where he talks about uh, guntax exactly what you are saying about uh, the word caste coming because portuguese or uh, some merchants landed and they couldn't figure out what to call varnar so they used the word casta which became caste and it became kind of more like a class based thing as opposed to uh, more like a, what what your responsibilities are or what your profession is or something like that so Yeah, some some hoping to check that book someday. I have that book. Don't buy it. I can give it to you when we meet ah, next. Good. I have read it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, I just wanted to add one one other thing. Um, but this, yeah, I mean, good text like you were saying. People like to misinterpret and and use it and all that, but. over hundreds of years it is reality right people have been exploiting and there has been behavior um so we have to be able to acknowledge that also um and and we have to get rid of it i mean both the 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 way we like to interpret it as well as the the treatment of uh, uh treatment and behavior after these interpretations because it's very easy to take this and say oh you are this color or that jati or or you know the behavior and the actions are out of the window but you're just born into this family and but that happens all the time i mean e- even today it's happening so uh that's that's the reality of the situation okay srini yeah uh see i am just looking at it from a different perspective in the sense that uh the entire caste system actually was started uh, during the ramayana period if i am correct the ram rajya which happened during the ramayana period and it is from that uh, rama decided this uh, caste system is my uh, thinking process 
in the sense that uh, you know he started this uh, as, a, as a as a as a core uh, layer of uh, society where whether it is a king or anybody na anybody in the uh, kingdom uh, must send his uh, children or wards to the gurukulam and after the gurukulam education there is a kind of examination or the evaluation and based on the evaluation people will be uh, selected in their respective area so a, a good uh, person even if he is from the lower community he will become a brahmin or the other people can become a kshatriya so this over a period of time what happened especially i think it started with the kings so when the king's sons went to this uh, you know gurukulam and then uh, they could not perform well and they were given uh, you know different professions they kind of you know objected to this and then you know later on it became a kind of uh, society or you know it kind you know based on uh, you know they are uh, they are next ward next ward like that so so is this uh, is this what is the reality i think uh, the, the the four caste system was actually started by rama and his ramraj uh, during the ramayanam is my take so, so some parts of what you say shridi is correct some part of what you say is correct but bhagwan says in gita chaturvarnam maya srishtam guna karma vibhaga guna karma vibhaga tasya kartaram api maam vidya kartaram api avyaya he says that in gita where he says that right from the time the creation has started he has created this four four caste system although he is not he is a he is not he he is a creator yet he is not a creator of those four things he says that in gita so it's been coming right from the time creation started because it's got nothing to do with the society labeling us right or anybody it is got to do with your guna and karma what i what is your natural propensity what is your uh, uh, line of work that you want to take up and based on that the gurukula the next part of what is said in terms of how it was implemented the gurukula system where the guru recognizes okay what is this person's capacity or capabilities and then based on that will direct that particular person to read or learn or understand some particular uh, shastra whether it is uh, archery or whether it is uh, trade trade or scriptures based on the particular mentality so that's the implementation part but i don't think rama created it you cannot uh, say rasayan it to ram ramayana time frame okay and also i think the lower and higher gradation was never there i think that a lot of that happened in british narrative you are saying first time they did the census in the very census the british brought in that type of a narrative broadly so i think there are a lot of misconceptions on this uh, this whole topic um, i think this, i think a lot of us got educated through the lens of the british education system which is about 90% ps right on these areas so i think if we get caught with those ideas uh, i think we'll miss our enlightenment journey so i agree with you mukund uh, we should go beyond Uh, these uh, talks and look at what we are supposed to talk today <laughs> yeah that book uh, which uh, ketu you were referring to uh, india that is bharat by j saidipak is a must read book for each one of us to to start off you know clarify in our own mind how we have been misled right from the time we entered into kindergarten mukup Yeah, I think coming back to Kunti's story, right? So, like, like we're talking uh, as we're going through this discussion, you know, uh, attachment to family, right? Um, that's kind of one way, one way to see that is an identity, right? 
the identity that I am the mother or I am the father or I am the brother is the is leading to the attachment, right? A lot of times um, we struggle with the, with the act of attaching, the karma of attaching or detaching. But I think if we work on the identity side, right, sometimes it's easier to dissolve the identity because you know if the identity of the mother or father dissolves, then the attachment just drops on its own accord. So I'm just want to point it out, right? Because that's as a technique, you could just flip it and then work on the identity, and then everything just drops. Just just an insight. I was listening to it and said, "Wow, identity could be the other way to deal with it." Just want to share that. Uh-huh. Well said. Well said. Anyone else? Kunti is a very interesting character because she had uh, she sent off her eldest son in a basket on the river, and then she later, uh, you know realized who he was and you know reunited and and then she also played a role in the in the war right uh, she asked karna not to use some weapons and i don't remember the specifics but some some of the astras were not supposed to be used on arjuna that kind of thing she got a uh, boon from karna and but she was <laughs> she was also let's say playing her part in in the games uh, within the war yeah yeah only actually only four people n- know about uh, uh, karna's uh, connection with kunti and all four of them don't ever uh, reveal till the final minute it's uh, krishna uh, uh, Kunti, then uh, Bhishma, and uh, Karna. Karna himself knows. At, at before the war starts, Karna knew. Krishna tells him to kind of, you know, defect. But he says, no, I can't do it. Ajay? Ajay, you're on mute. Sorry. Can you hear him? I can't hear him. Ajay, you want to talk? You want to say something? His audio is a little broke, breaking up. Maybe I can share a few things that uh, I have. Um, reading Kunti Suti and also going through 
<clears throat> Narayaniam, the last two chapters, how, how the meditation on Nirguna Brahmam to description of the vision of the Lord. It, it's, it's just so beautiful that from Nirguna to Saguna Brahmam, the descriptions are just, you know, looking at something or imagining something and actually going to the place where <clears throat> you are so safe and you are the person, you know. So I was just reading that, <clears throat> reading the uh, Narayaniam and reading the Bhagavatam. It's so different in script, but it's the same essence. Um, just wanted to share that and how, like how Kunti starts with all the description of Lord and then says why we are not able to see you. Um, she's actually trying to say, you know, look at the Saguna Brahmam and go back to the Nirguna Brahmam. And that's the opposite in Narayaniam. In, in the last but one chapter, it, they talk about Nirguna Brahmam and then they go to Saguna Brahman uh, to again go back and say that this is your, uh, you know, your, uh, your, uh, your beautiful uh, Abhushanam or your way of what I can see from my eyes because we, we actually cannot feel that. So he's beautifully explaining how that poet can see him, but at the same time also saying that you don't need to see that. You just need to experience going back to the Nirguna Brahma. So I just wanted to give that contrast, like how each poet or each Veda or each way the, the, it's been written, you can go back and forth to Nirguna and Saguna Brahman and explain or feel that or experience that. Thank you, Vidya. Ajay, are you able to unmute yourself and speak now? Any other questions, comments on, on this 10 shlokas that we're going through? I think the uh, one thing that stood out, at least for me personally, was you know how Kunti kind of understood who Krishna truly is. Right? Um, because a lot of people in that era thought Krishna was a human, right? Even though they had a sense he's beyond that, but a lot of them did not completely understand who is. And this I thought I found one of you know very, very deep insights Kunti has gotten who the Krishna as a as an enlightened avatar. Right. I think that was very amazing to see. The way she describes in many places, you can see that she she has that she she kind of caught the fragrance of Krishna. Right. Typically an enlightened master is very difficult to define somebody, but you, you always get the fragrance of him, of him or her. But 
it's just amazing to see that Kunti got that with Krishna. No? That's how, that's how I felt when I read it. So the the nuanced aspect of Krishna. Absolutely. I'd just like to add here, earlier Makundan was talking about attachment, um, in this case to family. But I think in any, the fact that the mind is one-pointed can be used against it in the sense that if we find ourselves attached, be it to a person or experience or substance, if one, if you begin just doing japa, the mind will drop the prior concepts and get caught up in the japa. Or you can simply meditate and watch the thoughts come and go. But in all of these, you're realizing that you are outside of them. We identify with the thoughts and the attachment, and they seem to overwhelm us and trap us, but the reality is they never do. And that's the point of whether through japa or meditation, one sees the distance. One sees that I am not caught up in it. It is just imagination that I am caught up in it. And if you take it, go directly to what do I What's happening in any of those moments? The fact is, I am aware. I am not the content of my mind. I am the awareness of that content, and the awareness is always free. So I think whether you take a practice to uh, get around these these things that we find ourselves trapped in, where you simply go to the core, all of it reveals that it's just a myth. Beautifully said, Rick. Thank you. That was really beautiful. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Rick, it was uh, um, you definitely described it very nicely. The the one thing that uh, happens is like it, it's like what uh, we were talking about uh, when. Uh, uh, when we were talking about SPG's, you know, Ashtavakra lectures, he he made a very similar comment to Swami P, who, uh, of course, I'm sure Swami Dayananda probably said the same thing, because uh, it it kind of travels that way. Um, when we are talking here among this group, then there is an understanding and there's communication. Uh, so as soon as we go into our daily life, like tomorrow is Monday. And I go into the office, and and then we are trapped. You know, it's it's extremely. I mean, per personally for me, I find it extremely hard to just be doing that. But uh, but definitely, it's a it's a great thing to sometimes like even if you are sitting in a meeting or something uh, to say that okay, I, I shouldn't be responding this way, and being conscious of that is has been very helpful. But it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you should probably remember uh, Bajagovinda, uh, VP, you'll you'll remember this by heart. Satsangatve nissangatva, nissangatve nirmohatva, nirmohatve nishchalatatva, nishchalatve jivatva. I think constantly attaching yourself, each one of us, from in the right satsang is probably more important over a period of time you know the attachment will shift from one one goal to another goal 
That's right, uh, Rajesh. Yeah, well said. You know, it's also kind of the, the daily life is covered by the, the analogy of being an actor. An actor plays the role. And I like where Swamiji has often talked about how the actor plays a beggar. And he's bringing real tears to his eyes. And he's thinking to himself, I am doing this really well. <laughs> My point being that when we're engaged in our daily, everyday life, it's really just we're playing the role that we're assigned at that moment. But we shouldn't become confused that we are the role, nor should we feel that we're, we, we're defined by that role. It's just part of what living, living a life entails. But the idea that because we're involved in it, we're caught in it, that's what has to be exploded. Absolutely. Lovely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Just uh, one, one comment. I think I'm going back to Kishore's earlier question to Rick around, you know, this whole understanding intellectually, you know, it sometimes can just become a mind game. I think perspective, you know, having lived with a guru, I, I think guru makes a big difference in making the understanding into a, glimpse and eventually into a into a being right i think a lot of times i mean at least my experience the having a guru will be the catalyst factor right because the understanding will become a i mean a lot of times reading is more like reading the menu right you need to taste the food to really get a sense and then i think that that is the job of a guru is just make that happen i know just just want to give that comment uh, kishore right um the earlier question from Kishore. So, okay. so well, I just want to, you know, I know we've got a couple of minutes. I just want to uh, talk to you about this, right? Uh, this sloka, the sloka number nine, you know, of course, the uh, Sanskrit text is not that uh, great here in this, but, uh, you know, in, in the English translation says like this, right? In, who are intoxicated with health, fame, education, and beauty they will not ever be in a position to earn even utter your name for you being approachable only by those who have nothing of their own. So, you know, I just want to make sure that we interpret this correctly because I think if you go through the explanation by Srila Prabhupada and also what we just now completed chapter uh, chapter 8 where we talk about uh, death, death not as in the death of the body but death of the ego, okay? And I think... Uh, this one is basically talks about death of the ego. And ultimately, when you have nothing of your own, that means you dropped your ego completely. I hope you can recognize the Advaitic uh, you know, way of, of understanding what Kunti is saying. Yeah, that, this was... Uh, can you hear me, Rajesh? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, yeah. So you know, this was exactly the question point I wanted to, to bring in here, which is that I think a couple of shlokas before Kunti says that I should get more calamities so that I can sort of think of you again and again, kind of thing, right? Uh, so, and this 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 uh, shloka nine, I think that you quoted also seems to suggest that it's easier for people who are distressed to think of God, right? So I didn't think of it in the Advaitic way, but you know, Kunti's comment that you know I get more calamity so I can think of you seems to suggest that the path to 
bhakti is easier when you have sorrows i mean is that sort of a one way to think about it yeah so uh, i'll i'll give you uh, yeah, i'll give you my uh, you know my personal experience on this right so i go to this temple here which is uh, rajasa swami temple here and there's a there's a you know every thursday they have this prayers and all that stuff one of the shlokas has a very beautiful meaning and it's it's in kannada i'm not going to narrate it because i don't know it properly myself um, so the shloka says saying that uh, um, you know it, it says to it says saying that during the daytime i'm so busy in my day to day work that i forget to think about who you are and in the night time because i'm asleep i completely can't think about you and i have no idea when to think about you the shloka is a, is a kind of in a wailing which says that i don't know why i am not able to think about you because during this 24 hours i'm splitting myself day, day time i'm busy in my day to day stuff night time i must sleep therefore i can't do it so figure out help i need to figure out a way of thinking about you so that i can get on to that particular path so the whole idea ajay i think it's not that the calamities will force you to do that but the point is the point what she is making is that in the, to the point what gunz also saying the day to day life gets you away from what you think you you want to become for whatever reasons because it's it, it kind of you know, involves you or whatever you we have to figure out a way of taking time out and stepping out of the particular quote unquote role and then understanding who we are and then going out and doing that so it's not that you're, yeah. you're actually asking for calamities that's probably you know very uh, um, you know a good way of saying okay if i have more calamities i don't think that i will spend my time on something else but i'll be spending more time on getting some help and intervention to solve my calamity but once a calamity happens what completes what happens will you forget no i i i understand and that and the, and therefore what was intrigued about about was then why does kunti ask for more uh, more sorrow i mean I, i'm just trying to kind of square the circle because it just didn't sort of it, it made me feel like the easier path to uh, achieve or to to you know think of god is when you have sorrows right and i was reading one of the translations which sort of went something like this to say that the, the lord can easily be approached but only by those who are materially exhausted right one who one who is on the path of material progress cannot approach you with sincere feeling that's one in one uh, translation i read at a different place and which sort of uh, if you're a bhakt you know you should not be thinking of god only when you have sorrow and you know this seems to be the central sort of part of these this these these shlokas where kunti is really saying i mean if you think about sort of ordinary mortals like us we'll like we'll talk about you know god give me abc whereas where she is saying is god give me give me sorrow yeah. right we ask for all the good things and she is asking for the other thing altogether so it just i'm i'm just very intrigued by that part of it yeah the the way that i have understood this is you know if you go back to kunti's life the context of kunti is very very important and uh, you know uh, she was an unwed mother uh, at a very young age okay uh, she was actually uh, uh, before she became an unwed mother she was actually given in uh, adoption by oh. her uh, biological parents to somebody else to kunti's to uh, kunti raja kunti boja and then she became an unwed mother and then uh, uh then she had a uh, uh uh she had a husband 
who could not have children with her and she had another uh, co-wife with her and all these are sort of quote unquote uh, problems for her and then uh, once she has a co-wife you know the co-wife uh, and she they conceive the children based on the power what uh, she has and then uh, when she wants when her husband dies when she wants to die along with uh, die along with him her co-wife says you know it's because of me that pandu died therefore i am going to go die you take care and now she's into all the more troubles not only taking care of her own children three children biological children but also mm-hmm. children all the while dealing with a huge huge guilt complex that she has let go of her child the first child okay and that first child it's not that she does not know who karna is right from the time karna has been born he was born with those armor right kavach kundal and yeah. she traces him she knows that he is growing up in such and such place she knows him she tracks him so think about it from her perspective every day in her life she's struggling with that guilt complex while dealing with all the things and then figuring out that her own son is coming against you know her other children and now she's as you as she goes through the entire as she goes through the entire story right the kunti story the context is that i don't think that she's gotten anything beyond problems in her life but still she held on to it because she knew who krishna was and how she how we can protect that's the whole context mm-hmm. no I, i i get the context uh, it's just you know from a from a if you look at it from a, from a third party view you say all that is fine and you know but but then for her to say i want more problems um yeah i wonder whether that you know shows that that is the best way to think of god and therefore i would rather think of god rather than not have problems got it makes sense so it's we're already past 4 minutes past today i think we probably will continue this uh, so uh, with uh, next week we're doing 11 to 20 i know that we we can you know breeze through this because it's uh, not necessarily uh, um a very uh, vedantic text that we can uh, you know debate upon and have a different point of view like what what geeta is uh this is more like a story but it it's a good perspective to have because chapter 9 i think we can connect something when we start chapter 9 that's why i chose this particular thing so thank you for staying with me on this all right so if anyone has any last questions comments feedback uh we'll take that otherwise we will uh, conclude with the concluding prayer yeah when tax uh, just on ajay's question we we can come back to it next week uh i had a couple of thoughts on that but it, it might take time yeah we'll okay. come back next week we can start with that okay om sarve bhavantu sukhinaha sarve santu niramayah sarve bhadrani pashyantu ma kaschid dukha bhag bhavet Om Shanti 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 Shri Guru Bhyo Namah Hari Om Thank you everyone. Thank so you. Next weekend we'll continue with Lloyd Day 20. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hari Om. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.